pretty good job of not turning around to see what kind of crowd we had tonight before until just now. Um, you know, I've done a lot of teaching in this church uh, with the youth, with younger kids. Um, that part's not what has me, what has me a little nervous, but up here with, you know, all the people my age and a little bit younger, just a little bit. I know most of y'all are only just a little bit young or a little bit older than I am. Uh, so just bear with me. But uh, first of all, I just want to thank the girls for that beautiful song. We got a, a lot of beautiful voices this church has been blessed with throughout the years. Um, I'm going to be kind of jumping around through the Gospels this evening. I'm going to be, so the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you that don't know. And we're not going to focus all our efforts on just one verse here tonight. Uh, last youth night, Brother Corey Gerard spoke, and he talked about who Jesus is to you. Not who Jesus is for everybody, not who Jesus is, not who people say that Jesus is, but who he is to you, and, and personally, who Jesus is to you. He asked Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I thought that was a pretty good answer, and that got me thinking along with some of our Awana lessons where we talked about how Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so tonight we're gonna, I'm going to take you through some things about what Jesus became. Not necessarily who he was to you, but what he became and what he went through. So in preparation for this evening, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of my friends, uh, some family and I ask them the first couple words that comes to your mind. When I say Jesus, what comes to your mind? And I know Jesus, who he was, can never be summed up in two words. He can never be summed up in a hundred words. But I'm going to share with you some of the things that they came up with. They said that Jesus is merciful, that Jesus is the Redeemer that Jesus is humble, that Jesus is faithful, that he is forgiving, and that he is just. But the word that came up more than any other word was the word love. All of these are excellent examples, excellent words. If you had to break it down into two words, they're excellent words to use. None of them fully capture who Jesus really was and who he is. The one that comes the closest, I think, is love. But growing up in church, everybody that I talk to grew up in church. Everybody that I ask this answer, we have this tendency to view Jesus through this very religious lens. Not exactly a bad thing, but you see things through that scope of who Jesus is in your religion. Not about who he was as a man. You see him as kind of this stoic, emotionless, angelic being with this great power that was bestowed upon him that came down, lived with this power, and then accepted death. Sort of like this superhero that came down to minister to these puny humans and then let himself die 
and sacrificed himself for the sake of the greater good. That's that religious scope that kind of puts Jesus in this box and limits what he was able to accomplish given who he actually was. So I began to think of some other words that could possibly not fully capture, but maybe go along with and support who this man was that didn't quite fit that mold of that religious scope. And a couple of the words is determined. Jesus was emotional. At times, Jesus was frightened. Jesus was vulnerable. And Jesus was very, very human. A lot of those words you don't hear a lot to describe Jesus. Especially that vulnerable one. But tonight I'm going to take you through some of the things that we see in the story of Jesus. And we're going to learn some things about this man that walked the earth that might put a damper on that religious view for just a second. Stick with me on this. I know it's not sounding great just yet, but it will. We're going to see that Jesus was human, just like you and just like me. We're going to see all that Jesus suffered through, and he suffered through far more than just being obedient to death. We're going to see exactly what Jesus went for for you and what he went for for me, went through for me. And we're going to see just how much we have that we can relate to this man that died so many years ago and this man that still lives. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to, I have four things that I want you guys to see about what this man was and what he went through. Starting in Luke chapter, C, Luke chapter 2, we see that Jesus had to grow up. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp. For us, that's just a part of life. This is youth night. The only reason we can have a youth night is because some of you are still growing up. But Jesus, this infinite being who had never had a beginning and never had an end, suddenly he had a beginning. And suddenly he could see the end. So in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see the only story that we have from Jesus' childhood. From birth up until the moment of his public ministry, this is the only story we have of Jesus' child. He was 12 years old. So starting in verse 42, it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his parents, after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. I don't know how old I, I was. I was. I was in elementary school one time, and I think my parents know where this is going because I hear some laughs. But we went to one of my sister's basketball games. She was in high school. And at this basketball game, I never watched the games, okay? I was a typical elementary school kid. I was somewhere with a tennis ball playing wall ball or something. And they had driven separate cars. So when the game was over, I'm still caught up in my wall ball game. 
and my parents both think that the other one has me. And they leave. And I'm still there in this giant crowd of people. I was a lot shorter then, so I couldn't see over the crowd. And finally, I spotted a face that I knew. It was my principal from my elementary school. And I had to get her to go and call my parents and come back and pick me up. Now, is that really a story that you would ever see 12-year-old Jesus going through? His parents forgot about him and left him in Jerusalem. For a day, they did not know that they had lost their son. Fortunately, it didn't take my parents that long to realize I wasn't there. Of course, I called them, so who knows how long it would have taken. But it took his parents a day before they finally realized he wasn't with them and turned around. Picking up in verse 44, it says, But they, supposing supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, three days looking for him, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So a lot of things come with your ages of growing up. You can get confused. Confusion is a big part of growing up. You can get in trouble. Another big part of growing up. You have to listen to other people and obey and trust that what they are saying is better for you. And you have to learn a lot. And that first one being confused, we've already seen. There's a lot of confusion going on whenever you lose your child, as we've already seen. But now we're going to talk about that second one, being in trouble. Jesus got left by his parents and was in trouble. In verse 48, 48, he says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Mary says, what have you done to us? Mary scolds the the 12-year-old Jesus is being scolded by his mother here. A lot of us know what that feels like. Of course, Jesus was in the right. When he answers and says, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus was in the right. Jesus knew that he was doing God's work and he was where he was supposed to be. But he's still in trouble. He's still being scolded by Mary. So what did Jesus do? You know deep down that you're right. Young people, I'm talking to you. You know deep down that you're right. Most of the time you're not. I'm just going to throw that out there. But you know deep down that you're right. And your parents are getting on to you anyway. What do you do? You argue. You scream. You do what you were going to do anyway. But that's not what Jesus did. First of all, they didn't understand what he was talking about when he said, He's doing his father's work. Verse 50, it says, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. He left with them, 
Knowing that's where he was supposed to be, Jesus left with them and was subject to his parents. Jesus got in trouble, and he said, you know what, Mom? You're right, I'm going with you. And then we see that fourth thing that comes with growing up, that we have to learn things. Verse 52, and it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased in wisdom. That one right there gets a lot of people. Jesus had to learn things. He had a trade. He was a carpenter. Why was he a carpenter? Because that's what he had learned from his father. Jesus had to learn while he was growing up. Then we see the second thing that I want us to see tonight, that he was tempted. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4 for me. Jesus was tempted. Verses 1 through 11, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. That's the understatement of the century. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days, and it says he was hungry. (laughs) Who knew, right? Not eating for 40 days will make you a little hungry. So right off the bat, we see that Jesus is in a weakened state. He hasn't eaten for 40 days, and that wasn't an uncommon thing back in this generation. We see throughout the Bible a lot of instances of people fasting. For example, Elijah and Moses both fasted for 40 days. But there's a very distinct difference between Jesus' fast of 40 days and Elijah and Moses. And that's that Jesus did it without divine intervention, without help. In Elijah and Moses, first we'll start with Moses. In Exodus chapter 34, it says that Moses went 40 days without food, which is possible, and without water, which is not possible. To go for 40 days without water, the average human can make it about three days without water. So for Moses to make it that 40 days without food and without water, it absolutely would have taken some divine intervention. That's help from God. Then Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, it tells us that he was helped by an angel. An angel prepared a meal for him at the beginning of those 40 days that helped him get through it. Jesus had no such help. Jesus went 40 days without food, all in his flawed human body, and then was tested and tempted. It says in verse 3, it says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Tells him to just, you're hungry. Verse 2 told me that you're hungry. So just, if you're the son of God, turn that rock into some bread, and let's eat. Jesus answered back and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the devil takes a different approach. He taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, 
and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any, at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So Jesus picks him up on top of a really tall building and says, if you're really the Son of God, jump. The Bible says that God will help you. God will send an angel to catch you, and you will not be injured whatsoever. So Jesus answered back, and he says, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the devil changed pace again. It says, Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This draws shades of the Garden of Eden for me. With that serpent, the devil, slithering in and finding exactly what you need, in that circumstance. For Adam and Eve, what they wanted was to be equal. What did Jesus need in that circumstance? Food. He comes at him with food first. Forty days Jesus has gone without food. So the devil says, just have some food. Hits it right on the nail. Just eat some food. Knew just what buttons to push. What else did Jesus need at that moment? A smoother and easier life, maybe? Jesus was entrusted with great power. But as we saw with him going through those 40 days without help, we know that Jesus had to suffer through the wants, needs, and desires of man. And he was not to use those powers to make his life easier. But it would be so easy. It would be so easy, wouldn't it? Just to use those powers to help yourself a little bit. Just jump off of this really tall building and have those angels come and sweep you up. When that didn't work, the devil went after power. A power that Jesus had grown accustomed to before his time as a man. He said, all of these kingdoms shall be yours. It's just that easy. I think one of the greatest temptations that Jesus faced on this earth was the temptation to live up to expectations. The Jewish people, they were expecting their Messiah to come down and rule with an iron fist. They were expecting Him to be the awe-inspiring, powerful, military leader that they had heard about. And he was going to come in, conquer the earth, and rule the nations. But that wasn't Jesus' task. Jesus was to live as a man with our weaknesses and with our temptations, but without sin. The third thing I want to talk about tonight is that Jesus suffered injustices and betrayals. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 for this. Injustice and betrayal is something that's really big 
on earth right now, has been for centuries. There's always been injustice in the world. There's always been betrayal. And Jesus faced it the same as all of us. First, we see that his trial was unlawful and untrue. There's a few reasons why it was unlawful. It was against the law at that time to be tried in secret at night, which Jesus was. It was against the law for a trial to be concluded in one day if it was a capital case. That's if the death penalty was on the table. It was unlawful for a trial to be concluded in one day. Both of these things we can see in Jesus' trial. It was held at night in front of only those that thought he was guilty. And no witnesses were called upon or given time to be at this trial. It didn't take place in a court. They brought Jesus to the home of the high priest, not to the court. And when they took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman soldier, the Roman that was in charge of assigning him the death penalty, they changed. They changed the charges against Jesus. See, when they did it in front of just the Jewish people, they said Jesus was blasphemous because he said that he was the one true God, which of course was false. I mean, of course he is the one true God, so that's a false charge of blasphemy. So that right away is unlawful. But then they take it to Pilate to have him executed, and they tell Pilate this man is a treasonous man. This man said he's not going to pay taxes because he's a true king. They completely changed the narrative because Pilate wouldn't have cared if Jesus broke Jewish law, if Jesus was blasphemous. Pilate cared about Rome. So they changed the charges. And then finally, it was unlawful because the charges against Jesus were clearly false. We see Jesus suffer betrayal. He was betrayed by his friends. He told Peter, when Peter said that he will never leave him, he told Peter, before the morning, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Outright told him what was going to happen. And then in verse 56 of Luke chapter 22, we see, But a certain maid beheld him, this is Peter, as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. That's one. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. That's two. Verse 59, And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. There's three. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest allies, one of his closest friends, even though Jesus told him exactly what was going to happen, 
And then Peter's remembered. It says in verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was overwhelmed with the fact he didn't think anything of it when he was denying him. It wasn't until after that it kind of stewed in his mind. And he remembered those words of Jesus that he had just denied him three times. And he was overwhelmed with the thought of denying him. Then we see Judas. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Again, one of Jesus' closest allies that betrayed him. After Jesus' death, he felt so bad that he returned the money. And then he took his own life. Such great betrayals of Jesus. The fourth thing I want to talk about was how Jesus was emotional. First off, we see the good emotions. Jesus made friends. Jesus joked and laughed with his disciples. If that's not enough proof, just look at some of the names he gave them. For Simon, he nicknamed him Peter, which means the rock. I don't think he did that. But the rock was part of God's crew. And then you look at James and John, who he nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. I don't even know where that came from. But James and John are the Sons of Thunder. He gave these, these men nicknames. He was friends with them. He laughed with them. He joked with them. And then in Mark chapter 11, we see that Jesus was angry. Jesus felt anger. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. It says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrow the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. Jesus sees that these people are trying to make a profit off of Passover, in the temple. And Jesus feels anger. Such immense anger that he walks into the temple and he throws the tables over. And he calls the place a den of thieves. We also see in Mark that Jesus was extremely afraid and anxious at certain points. There's not many people, when asked to talk about the traits of Jesus, that would say he was afraid of many things, that he felt anxious. But in Mark chapter 14, verses 33 through 36, it says, And he taketh him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Jesus doesn't want to be alone. This is just before he's about to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And he says to these three, his closest allies, that he doesn't want to be alone. He says to them that he is exceeding sorrowful unto death and for them to keep watch and to come with him. You can almost see Jesus as he's praying in this garden of Gethsemane, down on his hands and knees, shaking with fear, shaking with anxiety. And praying to God in verse 36, it says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus says, if there's any possible way, any way at all, for me to not have to go through with this, please intercede. Please show me that way. A lot of times it can seem like that's our only hope. But then we try to make that way out. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, please, anyway. But then he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. Not my understanding, God, but yours. Then... I'm going to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Y'all don't have to go there if you don't want to. But it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was sweating blood. He was so afraid. This is not hyperbole. This is not Luke taking some sort of dramatic approach to showing you what was happening. Luke was a doctor. Luke knew what he was talking about. And this is a real thing. He sweat blood. It's called hematidrosis. I doubt I pronounced that correctly. But that's what it's called. Where you sweat blood during times of great emotional stress. It's seen very, very rarely in our age. But it's seen most commonly in men on death row awaiting execution. And most of the time, those men are found to be innocent sometime after they're gone. Jesus was so anxious and so afraid that he sweat blood and asked for this not to happen. Now, why do I bring all these things up? Those are four things we just saw in the life of Jesus that he had to grow up, that he was tempted, that he suffered injustice and betrayal, and that he showed emotions. Things that we don't usually talk about when referring to Jesus. Things outside of that religious scope that we typically see Jesus inside. So why do I feel the need to point out these vulnerabilities, these weaknesses, these very human-like traits in Jesus. And what does it mean that the full majesty of God was sent down to earth as this fully human person? There's three things that I want you guys to see from this. From all the things that we've talked about tonight. 
three things about what it means. Number one, it means that God is close. Closer than we thought possible. Close enough to touch. Our God is close to us. And He is readily available to anyone willing to accept Him. Trent Shepherd in his book, Jesus' Journey, put it like this, For what we could not know in majesty, maybe because it was just too much for us to handle, has at last been revealed to us in childlike humility. Number two, it means that Jesus loved us even more than we previously thought possible, looking through that religious scope of Jesus being this superhero who walked through life using his powers and then only suffered at death. For Jesus, just to become human, just to become a man, to become a child, that in itself was a sacrifice. Jesus had never felt hunger. Jesus had never been tired. Jesus had never had the pains of growing up, the pains of soreness from walking. Jesus had never been thirsty. Just to have those human wants, those human needs, those human desires, that in itself was a sacrifice. So that he would sacrifice his holy, glorious body to come down to earth and suffer through life as a man and make himself subject to death for us just means that's how much he loved us. And three, it means that we have a God who truly knows what we're going through in life. God's been there through Jesus. God has been there. When we find ourselves in the garden of temptation with that serpent sounding so convincing, there is a man with us that has overcome that same temptation. When we find ourselves in the sea, among the waves and the storm. There's a man out there with us that has walked those same waves, that can teach us how to walk those waves and to show us that we have immeasurable power within us. We can walk those waves with him and find a way out of that storm. And when we find ourselves on a cross of our making, through the sins that we've committed. There's a man on the cross right next to us bearing those same sins. Showing us that there is a way to overcome the power of those sins. That there is a way, one way, to overcome the power of death. And if we call on His name, He will look over to us and say, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. God knows what you're going through. God has been there. He's seen those same temptations that you're seeing now. And he said no. He has resisted that temptation God loves you. Loves you so much that He would forbear that glorious body and come down to be a man and die for you. And God is close. 
God is so close that you could touch him tonight. God is sitting right next to you waiting for you to accept him. And that's all you have to do is accept that gift of Jesus Christ. That's all that I have for tonight. I just want to thank you guys for letting me come here tonight and to uh, speak in front of you. Sorry you got stuck with me, but (laughs) thank you guys. Well, I love a unique approach to the same truth that we all read and teach and know. And I have seen that in Corey before and heard it again tonight, the way God used him, and I I appreciate it so much. I really love that last point. I love all the points, but I just went to Hebrews 4.15 on that last point. And let me read it. And after the way he explained it, you're going to understand what this verse means now. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We call upon the Lord. We trust Him. We depend upon Him. Because He's Lord and Savior. Because He's God. And because He knows exactly how we feel in all that we've been through. He's been through it and He was victorious. And He passes that on to you and I. Wow, I I pray that through the religious scope that we so many times look at God through and look at his son through, I pray he just became so close that you know you can call on him and have that confidence that he knows your very feelings. He knows your very hurt. Ever been betrayed by someone? Have you ever had depression just trying to come over you. You felt like it was so wrong that you couldn't talk to God about it. He knows exactly how you feel and he wants to help that. Do you know that tonight? Are you moved to seeing how close God is? Children of God tonight, I just pray you're encouraged to call on him more. We walk in such a self-sufficient way. We make our own decisions. And what have we learned? They're, They're just not as good. They don't even compare to God. All of the experience that he had on this earth. And he uses it to bless us and to help us. And if you're here tonight and you are just 
so distant, so far from God. It may just be you've never come to know him as Lord and Savior. The whole time he was talking about Jesus and who Jesus became, what Jesus became, I thought of a song we sometimes sing. More about Jesus would I know. We don't talk a lot about the things that that he shared tonight. But oh, how important we see they are. And if there's someone tonight. Who's discovered in their heart because God's drawing you that you are not personal with his saving grace. You have never trusted Jesus to save you from your sins. Maybe that maybe it happened for you during the service or maybe right now after a time in the word of God. It'll be in a time of invitation right now. That you would trust Jesus Christ with your life. That you would trust him to forgive you of all of your sins. Would you know him tonight personally? Ryan's going to come forward and. He's going to sing a hymn of invitation, probably one we all know very well. Come on, Ryan. And young people. This is your time to do business with God. He loves you. You're important to him. If there's this discomfort that's going on within, it could be God calling you to trust him as Lord and Savior through his son, Jesus. Would you do that tonight as we sing?